the beauty of this is we open up in prayer tonight. There's nothing left to happen before the rapture of the church takes place. I mean, people ask, you know, is there certain things that have to go down? And it's already gone down. The very last thing that needed to take place before the rapture could occur happened in 1948. Do you remember what happened in May of 1948? Israel. Israel. That's right. It's given statehood again. And the Jews needed to be back in the land uh, for the rapture to take place. And obviously that's taken place. And so, um, and there's many that believe, you know, as, as scripture would de declare that uh, this generation, you know, that goes back into Israel would not uh, pass away before the Lord would return. Um, again, that doesn't mean that uh, that 70 or 80 or whatever years, you know, that might be. It almost reminds me of like when John, uh, the apostle, they believe that uh, before the last apostle would die, uh, Jesus would return. So you can imagine John being the last uh, apostle alive. And whenever he'd get a cold, people would stand over him like, you know, is this it? You know, is this it? And uh, one of the things we'll learn in this is that uh, no man knows the, the hour in which the Lord will return in the rapture. Um, that's why uh, the beauty of it is, is we have this uh, expectant hope to continue to look up every day. And I, I begin by asking you this, you know, we all have problems in life, right? And I want you to think about this, the, the hope that we have because of the rapture. Think about this tonight as we open in prayer. What problem do you have right now in your life that wouldn't be solved by the rapture? I want you to think about that. What problem do you have right now in your life that wouldn't be solved by the rapture? Because that's when we think about the blessed hope of the believer it's going to solve all of our problems, any problem. I mean, you could be in debt and guess what? Jesus takes you up and guess what? No bills to pay any longer. You could be, you know, going through a health crisis and guess what? You get raptured, get taken up. What happens? You get a new body, one that has no more pain and no more sorrow, no more suffering. You know, um, you know you're single and you wish that you were married. Well, we're neither be given in marriage when we're in heaven. Uh, that could be a plus too if you're married and things aren't going really well either. The rapture, I mean, it just solves every, every problem. You think of every problem that you could possibly have, it's solved in the rapture of the church. And so it's a wonderful study for us to, to look at and to look to, and we'll, we'll do that tonight. But let's uh, open up with a word of prayer. I mean, Father, we thank you, Lord, for just a sweet time of worship and Lord, we thank you for the fellowship that we get to enjoy as we open up your word and you speak to us as Isaac was sharing that, um, Lord, you have something for us and uh, for each and every one of us. And, and just like you brought the, the disciples and the apostles comfort the night that you were betrayed, Lord, you want to bring us comfort tonight too. We thank you for the gift of your spirit that even when we live in dark days and difficult times, uh, Lord, we have a peace that surpasses even our own understanding. And thank you that it fills our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus. And we pray your peace would fill this place tonight, fill every heart, every home. And Lord, we just look forward to uh, growing in our knowledge of you because Lord, the more we know about you, the more we love you. And that's really what we wanna do. We just wanna love you more and serve you more faithfully. And so help us to do that tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible handy, and I pray that you do, um, open it with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to be there, and then we'll be in uh, John chapter 14. Those are basically the two chapters. Might allude to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, but uh, we're, like I said, we're going to spend a couple weeks in this. And so um, one of the things I want to encourage you to do is if there's something that you're confused about or you know you're unsure about the rapture the second coming we've got a couple weeks to try to address that and so if you want to write me you can at mike at ccbakersfield.com and uh, you know just ask any question that you want i won't you know give your name but um you know trust me in this if you have a question somebody else probably has the same question too and there's a lot of questions you know that surround this and uh, so you know and i love this because you know for me uh, and I put in my notes here, you know, that our goal should be in life to take as many people to heaven as possible. Um, but we have to understand that, you know, there comes a point, you know, I mean, um, let me look this up really quick. There was a, a quote, see if I can find this really fast. I had it in my, in my notes 
from yesterday. Let me see. Sometimes it doesn't uh, click over from. I don't think it did. No. I'll have to um, pull it up uh, next week. Just a, a, a great quote about, you know, God's grace is that, you know, God's patient with us, but the, there, his patience does run out. And uh, it's just a great reminder of that, that, you know, the time is short, you know, in all of our lives. I mean, heck, if you live to be 70, 80 years old, I mean, that time flies. You know, the, uh, there's an old country western song that's don't blink, right? Don't blink. I mean, life just, it goes by so so fast. And so when you think about you know, in uh, terms, biblical terms, the term eschatology means the study of end times or last things. So whenever you see that word eschatology, it's talking about the end times or the last things. And it's an important doctrine of the church because if Jesus doesn't come back, what's the point of believing in him, right? In the truest sense, because he rose from the dead and he told, the, he told his disciples, you know, again, we look at the book of Acts and he was ascending into heaven, remember, and the angels were there with him. And they said, you know, you men of Galilee, why do you gaze up into the heaven? This Jesus who you see ascending into heaven will come back in like manner. And what is he saying? They saw him in the clouds. So it wasn't talking about the second coming. It was talking about the rapture of the church because we'll talk about this, you know, as we get into it, the second coming, Jesus is going to set foot, you know, on the ground. Uh, but in the rapture of the church, we're going to be caught up to be with him in the air. And so, you know, we have a, a number of scriptures that will speak to this. Um, the, the word, and it comes up all the time, there is no English word for rapture. So if you believe in the rapture, you, somebody's going to question you that doesn't believe in it. And they'll go, it's not even in the Bible. And you go, well, Bible's not even in the Bible. You know, the very book that we, that we study, it, it's a name, it's in the Latin Vulgate. Um, in the original language, there's the, the word rapizio, rapturo, and it means to be caught up or it means to be snatched away. And then in the Greek language, it's the, it's the word har, harpuzo, and meaning the same thing. And so there are words, it's just not the English rendering of the word, the word rapture. But again, um, you know, people, again, we can you know, have discussions and you want to have debate with people. You know, the Bible says we're to reason together. Um, but one of the things that, you know, when we disagree, you know, we can agree to disagree, but the, really the key is, is in the spirit of love is not to be disagreeable. And if, if you understand what I'm saying, um, you can just say, Hey, we can agree to disagree because most people believe, uh, ultimately in the second coming of Jesus back to this earth, you know, if they, they hold to an, an orthodox, you know, perspective and they're, they're, um, you know, they have a proper you know, view of scripture. But many people don't understand the rapture itself. You know, they, again, when we talk about the rapture, it's two events you know, within uh, one event. You know, the, it in, it's included in the second coming. It's not a simultaneous event. But when we talk about the second coming, that can include and does include the rapture of the church in that, in that dialogue. And so, again, we see it in, in two stages. And like I said, you know, the rapture of the church, like I said, is when Jesus comes suddenly without any notice. And that's important that Jesus comes without any notice and he's in the air. Okay. He doesn't come to the earth. He doesn't step foot on earth. And he does what? If you see the word there in the Latin, rapturo, it means he snatches away or he catches away. And, uh, and then in the second coming, Jesus will step foot on the earth on the Mount of Olives, right? And then there'll be an earthquake and then uh, the Kidron Valley will, will split and Jesus will walk through uh, up into the Eastern gate, right there into the Temple Mount and he will be seated on his throne and that will then give way to what we understand to be the millennial kingdom where there'll be a thousand years of peace on earth. And so some of the easiest ways, like I said, to remember the events of the second coming is just try to remember it like this. The rapture is when Jesus comes for the church and the second coming is when Jesus comes with the church. So in the rapture, he comes for us and in the second coming, we come with him. 
And hopefully that, you know, puts it maybe in the simple terms. And, and, and it really was meant to be simple. You know, it wasn't meant to be complex. I always love what Pastor Chuck would say. Some people have the ability to take complex things and make them really simple. And other people have the ability to take simple things and make them really complex. And sometimes we do that to people to try to dominate them or to make you know, ourselves seem superior to other people. Like, oh, you, you can't know this. And especially with spiritual things, it's just, well, you're uneducated, you're unlearned. And what does the scripture tell us? That Jesus chose uneducated and unlearned men and made them his disciples, right? Because you know, again, as Paul would write to the church at Corinth, that God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. So that God gets all the glory and, and the glory doesn't go to man. And so, like I said, there's a huge difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming. You know, at the rapture, the focus is on Jesus. And one of the things, you know, when you think about this, you go, well, isn't everything about Jesus? And you go, well, the second, the second coming is really about Israel and God establishing his kingdom here on earth. But in the rapture, the whole focus is on Jesus. And then you have people that, like I said, if you don't believe in the rapture of the church, then you have to be looking, instead of for Jesus, you have to be looking, if your eschatology is, is in order, you would be looking for what? The Antichrist, right? That would be the next event, because after, after the church is raptured out, the Antichrist will be made manifest. And, and so you think about this just in simple terms, right? Remember, and I, I love that. What is the, what is the KISS method? Keep it simple saint, right? Keep it simple saint. And that's what Paul is doing. You have to understand the church in Thessalonica here that we're going to be reading from in chapter four is a church that Paul planted and he left in three weeks. I mean, think about this. He only spent three weeks with them. And so here he is, he's, he's giving them this doctrine of eschatology, right? Of, of last things, of end times, and he's doing it within three weeks. So I could just ask you simply, if it was really, really complex and it was so hard to comprehend, do you think Paul would have been sharing that within three weeks? No, because basically if you only had three weeks to share with somebody, what would you do? You go, hey, I'm just going to hit the high points, right? I'll hit the high points with you and we'll try to cover the other things later. Well, this was a, this was a high point for Paul. And it should be for us because... If you really think about it, and I can only go back to, like I said, my, my own life, and it's, it's kind of interesting that you look at 1 Corinthians 15, you don't need to turn there. It says this, it says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. And Paul's talking about the rapture there. He's just not talking about the winking of the eye. That can be really slow, right? He's talking about the twinkling of an eye, which happens in a nanosecond. I mean, faster than what, you know, light travels at 186,000, you know, miles an hour per second. I mean, it's, it'll be quicker than that, you know, that the Lord will appear. And you go, when you think about that, you go, man, I don't want to miss it, <laughs> you know. And you go, well, we, we, better, we better be looking, you know. Like I said, um, Jesus refers to the, the rapture in Matthew chapter 24 when he says, Therefore, you also be ready, he says, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect him. Amazing. Now, the second coming, think about this. Because it happens at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Well, if there's a seven-year tribulation, that means we have to know when that seven years is. And we know... There's a marked moment, and it's called the abomination of desolation, when the Antichrist goes into the temple, the Jewish temple, and he demands to be worshipped. Well, the clock starts ticking at that point. That's the mark of the three-and-a-half-year period that's halfway through the seven-year tribulation period. So that means from that day forward, there's what? Three-and-a-half years. So you could count three-and-a-half years, and you will know the exact date at which Jesus will return to this earth. In the rapture, scripture tells us only the church will see Jesus in the rapture. But at the second coming, it says every eye will see Jesus. Everybody will. Now, let me ask you this. How would the whole world see Jesus at the second coming? What would you say? What do you, what's your thoughts? What's your guess? The whole world is going to see him. How are they going to see him? Is everybody going to go to Jerusalem? No. What are the, their cell phone? That's absolutely right. Yeah. You know, you, te, social media. 
Yeah, do we have the ability to broadcast all around the world today? We didn't always have that technology, right? So can you think back, you know, I mean, how many years have we had that technology? Not very many, right? In our lifetime. So you can understand why people then, uh, as we get into next week, we'll deal with really, and I, I won't probably spend much time at all tonight on it, dealing with the positions of, of end times, you know, um, you know, eschatology being the major, you know, points of view are pre-tribulation, before the rapture, mid-tribulation at the midpoint, and then post-tribulation um, going through the seven-year period, and then Jesus coming in the rapture. And then you have the Catholic uh, perspective. It's called preterism, which uh, the Catholics believe that, that, that it's already taken place. And I always love what Pastor Chuck would say. He goes, if that's the case, he goes, then... and. Satan is bound and he's in the abuso. He said, I, I, and he's chained in the abuso. He said, I just want to say that, you know, the chain is too long <laughs> because he has way too much influence, you know, in this world. But uh, there's a lot of, you know, different perspectives. And like I said, um, one of the things that we all agree on, we don't necessarily agree when the rapture takes place, but we all agree that Jesus is coming back. You couldn't have orthodoxy without that belief and understanding that Jesus is going to return. So again, we're not to argue with people. We should debate it. And you can, you can debate it, you know, briskly, you know, with people and you go, Hey, I believe this. And this is why, because according to scripture and they'll give you their scriptures. And then at some point, you know, you go, we'll just have to agree to disagree, you know, in our positions, you know, people ask me, so what's your position? My position is I believe and hold to a pre-tribulation rapture. And, and I'll share that, you know, with you as to why. I mean, you're entitled to be wrong if you choose one of the other, you know, perspectives. I, I don't hold that against you. I mean, everybody has the right to be wrong, right? It's just how it is. So I'll still love you, you know, and I'll listen to you. No, but there, there are people, I have good friends that don't hold to a pre-tribulation rapture perspective. And uh, like I said, I, I still love them. You know, I don't break fellowship with them. I pray for them though. No, I'm just teasing. It's, it's just one of those things. There's just certain people have different understandings and I'll share with you mine. And then you have to determine that for yourself. Scripture isn't telling you to go by my perspective or what I believe about it is as the Bereans, you're to search the scriptures and see for yourself what the Bible says and then come to your own conclusion because you're not going to stand before me and I'm not going to stand before you in judgment. I'm going to stand before God and give an account of my life and you're going to stand before God and give an account of yours as well. So that's why it's important, you know, for us to do that. So um, one of the reasons, like I said, when I think about a pre-tribulation rapture, because when I think of the second coming, you know, I mean, it, Jesus is going to come at the end of that seven-year period of time, right? And, and you think about God loving, you know, we, we talk about the church being called, what, the bride of Christ, right? And Jesus loving his bride. And you just, it's hard for me to wrap my head around that he would allow his bride to go through something that he could deliver her from. And we'll see that next week in first Thessalonians five, where, you know, the word of God tells us is that God has not appointed us unto wrath, but unto salvation. And so we'll spend some time, you know, walking through that. But like I said, in first Thessalonians chapter four, let's pick it up in verse 13. And I'm reading from the NLT translation here. I think really the, the new King James does a better job in breaking this word down, you know, in understanding the word rapture and, and being caught up. Um, but I, but I, I like the NLT from a devotional standpoint. And so I'll read that to you. It says, and now dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like the people who have no hope. And so what he's talking about there is that there's a difference between the believer and the non-believer. You know, the non-believers don't have hope, right? Because they just live, as Paul said, if there, if there is no resurrection, if Jesus isn't who he claimed to be, then we should just what? Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow what? We surely die. Yeah. And that should be our attitude because isn't that really the attitude of the non-believing world? They go, yeah, that, that's, that's how we believe. That, that's what we believe. And it's so sad. Because even if you truly believe that, it's empty in of itself. I mean, because if you think about it, you know, if you're 50 years or older here and you, and you start to go through the aging process, you know, life isn't the most exciting thing in the, in the sense of your physical being as you age. 
And so, again, not having a hope of, you know, I mean, I can't tell how many people every time I'll say it, Revelation 21 reminds us that, you know, Jesus is going to wipe away every tear from our eye, right? And he's going to make all things new. And, and when you die, you know, to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. And at the rapture, you're going to receive a resurrected body. And then one day when all the believers are, are with Jesus, we're going to receive a glorified body. One that he says has no more pain, right? It'll experience no more death, no dying. You know, all the things that, you know, we just loathe in this life. And everything will be perfect because he's restoring us back to what we lost at the, at the fall at the, in the Garden of Eden. And so you look at that and you go, man, you know, it's exciting if you have Jesus, but it's not very exciting. And then people go, well, it's a 50-50 shot. And I go, you're absolutely right. And I truly believe, you know, if, because I believe in Jesus, how do I live my life? That Jesus is coming back, right? I'm saved by God's grace through faith. If you, you've been at this church very long, you know that you're not saved by works. You're saved unto good works, but you will never be saved by the works that you do. You are saved because of what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross at Calvary. And so I, I have that hope that I go, Lord, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you forever in heaven. And all my family who's loved you, guess what? I'm going to see them again. And they're going to be alive and well. And we're going to enjoy, you know, as your word says, you know, we're going to sup together. We're going to be with you. And you go, it's a wonderful thing. And you go, but what if I die and that doesn't come true? Did I still have a better life in my own heart and mind? Yeah, because I looked forward to death. Trust me, I've, I've sat at the bedside of people who love Jesus and people who didn't. And I can tell you there's a difference. I mean, I, I sat there by one, one person who was literally screaming in fear. It was as if she could feel the flames of hell. And, and she could see the darkness as it just set in in her life. And it just broke my heart. Because at one point, you know, she, she had a relationship, you know, with God or some, some form of relationship. And then just, you know, completely fell away. And then I've sat at the bedside of people who love Jesus and who, you know, though they're, they're sorrow that they're, they're passing, they're going, don't, don't, don't cry for me. They're going, cry for you, you know. I, I'm at home and then to look up and go, Lord, I'm coming. You know, I see you. I love you. You hear things, you know, and you go, wow. You know, I told you, you know, my friend, you know, Mike Baker, or, you know, uh, uh, Kent McBride, you know, both of those guys, you know, friends of mine that passed away, both just, you know, I mean, smiling and go, hey, it's in God's hands. I'm in God's hands. You know, Mike said, oh, it's beautiful. Tell him, tell him it's beautiful. And you go, man, no fear at all. You know, because you have that hope in Jesus. And if you don't have that hope, like I said, it's, you know, you're doing everything to try to, you know, always, you can always kind of see the person who's just totally caught up in the world, right? Have you ever seen somebody who's 80 years old, who's had a lot of plastic surgery, trying to look like they were about 20 and, and it doesn't go well. And you're having all these actors and actresses now that are coming out, right? And they're just going, man, if I could go back, I would have just aged gracefully. I wouldn't have tried to, you know, puff up my lips. And now they're walking around. It looks like, you know, <laughs> I mean, you look and you go, wow, that didn't, that didn't, that didn't go too well, you know, type of thing. I remember being on an airplane one time and somebody got on the plane that, that had had so much plastic surgery. Even our, my granddaughter, like two years old, couldn't take her eyes off. She was just like, and I was like, no, no, no. she's like, I mean, just did not look normal. But that's what happens is you, you have to try to hold on. When God's going, no, let go, let go, you know, and come to me. So he says, you know, now, dear brothers, he says, I don't want you, you know, um, I want you to know what will happen to believers who have died there in verse 13, so that you don't grieve like the people who have no hope. And what is he saying? He goes, I don't want you to be ignorant. And it's interesting when you see that word ignorant, Paul uses that word ignorant a couple times, and, and it's only used three times in Scripture. One of those times is not to be ignorant of spiritual gifts, you know, when you, when you think about this. And, um, and then in 1 Corinthians 12, not to be ignorant of spiritual, spiritual gifts and not to be ignorant of the rapture here in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. And then in Romans chapter 11, not being ignorant of God's plan for Israel. And I, and I think about that, and I go, wow. 
that's pretty amazing. You know, that three things in scripture that the church seems to be pretty ignorant about. I mean, if you think about it today, we're ignorant in many ways about spiritual gifts, right? People go, I just don't know. I'm ignorant of that. And they're ignorant with regard to the rapture. There, there's so many today that they go, I don't believe in the rapture. Well, Paul says you're just ignorant. And what does ignorant mean? It doesn't mean you're stupid. It means you're uninformed or ill-informed, right? And then the same thing with regard to the nation of Israel in, in Romans chapter 11. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant with regards to Israel. What? What is the ignorance with regard to Israel? Well, many people today believe that God is done with Israel and that the church is in the place of Israel. So the church is spiritual Israel. You'll hear that from people. And there's many who believe that. And in each of these instances, you know, Paul is saying, hey, I want you to understand, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to know, I want you to be informed. And like I said, this was a church that he was only with them three weeks when, you know, when, when he planted the church and then he was leaving. Verse 14 goes on, it says, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, he's just sharing the gospel there. It says, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who've died. He's talking there about what? The second coming. Believers who've died are going to come back with Jesus to this earth. It says, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who've died. He says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout and the voice of the archangel with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be, and there's the word you know, for rapture, caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord. Where does it say we'll meet him? In the air. Okay, so this can't be the second coming when Jesus sets his foot on the earth because it says we'll be caught up in the air to be with the Lord. It says, so in my translation, it says, so encourage each other. Some of yours will say, so comfort one another with these words. And God does want to, he does want to comfort us, you know, very much so. And like I said, as we start to understand this, you know, we see that word caught up there. And like I said, in the Greek language, it's the word uh, harpazo. And like I said, it's used some 13 times in the New Testament. And it's translated a lot of different ways when you see the word caught up. We'll see it. It's translated uh, catch up four times, not ketchup that you put on your, your French fries, but catch up. Uh, three times it's, it's translated to take by force. Uh, two times it, it's it translated catch away. Um, twice it's, it's translated to pluck. Once it's translated with the word catch, and then once also with the word pull. So I think you can get the idea, you know, what, what's taking place here. You know, you're going to take something away. You're going to snatch it up quickly. I like what Kenneth Wiest, he's a Greek scholar in his study uh, Bible. He translates 1 Thessalonians 4.17 like this. And I love this translation. He says, we shall be snatched away forcibly in masses of saints having the appearance of clouds for a welcome meeting with the Lord in the lower atmosphere. You know, the rapture of the church. So you think about this, you know, so, so what brought about Paul writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica? You know, what was he trying to communicate, you know, to the readers there? Like I said, he had planted the church. He was getting ready to leave. And uh, he, so he's working fast. He's working hard because he wants them to understand about the coming of Christ and the rapture that is to take place. And Paul, in Paul's life, he thought, you know, the rapture, it could happen at any moment in time that Jesus was going to return. And so the church in Thessalonica, they were upset. As a young church, you know, their thoughts were, well, what about my loved ones? What about my family members who, who love God, but they died? And so their question was, well, what about them? I mean, so they, do they miss it? If they're not alive when Jesus returns, does that mean they just miss heaven? And Paul's going, no, no, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ill-informed. But the dead in Christ, what? Will rise first. And those of us who are alive will be caught up with them, raptured with them in the air to be with the Lord forever. You imagine them hearing that and going, oh. That's so good to know. I'm going to see mom again. I'm going to see dad. I'm going to see my brother. I'm going to see my sister, my aunts, my uncles, you know, whoever, whoever it might've been my best friend. Yeah. I'm going to see him again. 
To be absent from the body, Paul would write, what? Is to be present with the Lord. And that brought them tremendous comfort. And so he said to them, what I would say to you tonight, comfort one another with these. When you, you talk with someone, you know, I, I just shared with you, you know, that Danielle passed away here just this last week, 30 year old uh, girl had a kidney transplant in 2009. And because of uh, the medication that she was on to um, suppress her immune system, so her body didn't reject the kidney, uh, many times gives way to a certain type of cancer. And she got that cancer and she fought it valiantly for a number of years and finally succumbed to it. But she loves the Lord. So where's she at today? She's with Jesus. And, you know, Brenda, her mom, you know, this is her only child, only daughter, 30 years old. So as a mom, whether you love Jesus or not, I mean, she's heartbroken. But she has a peace to know that Danielle's in a better place. Danielle, in a sense, just beat her home. You know, we expect to bury our parents. You know, we never expect our parents to bury their children. And that's a difficult thing. But she has that comfort today. She knows in her knower, as hard as it is, that she's going to see her daughter again one day. That's the hope that she has. And does that comfort her? Absolutely. Does it hurt today? Absolutely. But there's comfort in what? In the hope, the believer's hope, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when Jesus comes back for the church in the rapture, even the dead in Christ, they're going to arise and, again, receive resurrected bodies just like the rest of us. And so, you know, Paul is just reassuring the church, you know, um, that even the dead, that they have preeminence in that the dead in Christ will arise first. It's like God, God will honor that. So no way that those of us who are alive would be in first, you know, placed over them, you know, in this very moment here. And it was important because martyrdom was, you know, something that was really heavy in the church uh, at this time. Uh, many believers are being killed for their faith. And so this question kept coming up. You know, it's like, well, you know, does it pay to, to really step out in faith? We, faith? we don't really deal with that too much, you know, here, um, you know, in our lives in the United States yet. It's, it's coming. And I believe, I believe it'll happen in our lifetime. Things Because who would have thought from COVID how th fast things have, you know, just escalated. And what we're finding in social media right now, it's happening today. Christians are actually being separated out because you know what an algorithm is, right? So they can, they can look and they can watch what you post on, on social media. And so they're able to minimize, they can just as they do with many conservatives today. Uh, so that way the information that you try to put out gets subdued basically it can still get out but it can't get out at the at the rate in in in, in a way that uh, it can communicate to the masses and so what we're finding is that the church is being marginalized right now we're we're suffering from you know a social media persecution you might say and and then that will escalate next thing obviously to persecution it'll be the isolation you know putting people away uh, for their beliefs you know it's history that's not learned from repeats itself and so We'll see these things, you know, taking place again in the not so distant future. That's why I was sharing with you, you know, on Sunday, um, you know, we've got to come to a place where we, you know, really understand that those who desire to live godly, you know, in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. And are you, are you prepared for that? Are you, are you ready for that? Because again, um, it's not like it'll be optional at that point. It'll either have to deny Jesus, but if you stand up for Jesus, I mean, it's, it, there's going to be a cost that comes with that. And so you think about what's the implication of the rapture, you know, upon our lives. And really it's, it's only one of two things the way that I see it. You know, the implication of the rapture. What's it going to do? If it's viewed correctly, what is it going to do in your life? If you think about that, if you have a proper view of the rapture, how will you live your life? What would you say? How will you live your life? If you know Jesus could come back tonight... I mean, he, and there's nothing stopping him. If you live with that awareness, could you say or agree that that helps keep our focus in the right place? When temptation comes, that you have something to weigh that against, you go, because it's not an issue of salvation, because you were saved by God's grace through faith. But I definitely don't want to be in open sin when Jesus comes back, right? 
And that's what he's saying. Will I find faith upon the earth when I return? I mean, are we going to be, are we looking up? Like I said, that's one of the reasons I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture because of what it does in the hearts of feeble people like myself. If you study the Bible, we just did first and in, in, in second Kings here this morning, you know, and you realize in the Northern kingdom and the Southern kingdom, you know, the, between the two, there was 40 Kings. There was 39 men and one woman. There was only eight good Kings between the Northern and the Southern kingdom. You think about that more, way more bad than good. And why you go, they, the criteria for being a good King was basically was you love God with all of your heart. You, you pulled down idols you know, you eliminated idolatry from your life and from the life of, of your, your people, you know, and then you kept the covenants of God. You go, nothing's really changed. You want to, you want to live godly in Christ Jesus. Those are the things you do. You love God with all of your heart. The beauty of scripture is so consistent, right? Love God with all of your heart. Then do what? Get anything out of your life that, that, that is, is seeking to rival Christ in your life. If there's something that's trying to rise up, so you pull that out, you root it out of your life. You get away from it. You rid yourself of it. Because if you don't, if you toy with sin in the end, sin will toy with you. That, that's the bottom line. We reap what we sow. And that's what we saw studying, you know, first and second Kings. And then, you know, lastly, you know, a good King was one who kept the covenants that basically, you know, what was the covenant? You go, if you, you know, honor God in your life, God will bless you. If you don't, and Bad things are going to happen. And what happened? Northern Kingdom, Assyria, exiled, never to come back again. Judah, Babylon, dispersed, 70 years, comes back. God restores them. You know. So it, nothing in the, in the truest sense has changed. So I look at that and I go, wow, the rapture really does help me. My, my having the proper view of eschatology, you know, the end times and last things, it will help you walk with God. Because you're either looking for the return of Jesus or, like I said, you're looking for the Antichrist or you're waiting for the Antichrist. And so for me, and I can only speak for myself, but that helps me. I, that's in my filter. I go, oh, probably shouldn't do that. You know, what if Jesus came back right now? Would I be happy with that? You know, no. So what does that do? It's great. It's a great reminder. Um, it was 1982. Uh, true story. And... The church was located, Calvary Chapel was located on 17th and O Street downtown. And I went in on a Sunday morning because our baptism, it was a church, true church. It wasn't a you know, building, commercial building like this. And at the end here where the pulpit was and everything at the back, like you've seen churches have the baptismal right in the middle, right? And you see steps coming down to it. Well, this, this is, it had that. So I was there filling up the baptismal and it was a Sunday where it was in the fall and it was daylight savings. So we, what, fell back, right? So instead of it being, you know, 8.30, you know, it was really 7.30, right? So I'm there and I'm filling up and I, and I know what it is. I'm the only person there. And all of a sudden I hear this, I hear the door open up and I, and I hear it close. And so I'm hiding behind the wall and I'm looking out and I hear voices. I hear a, a man and a woman. And so I'm looking and they come up the, the stairs and they're almost the distance from here to the sound booth. And I see them come around the corner and they're going like this, the husband and wife. And they're looking around and the wife goes, I think we missed the rapture. Oh my gosh, we missed the rapture. Oh, do you think, honey, do you think we missed the rapture? Yeah, I think we missed the rapture. And so then I stuck my head out. I go, hey, I go, if you missed it, I did too. I go, so knock it off. Like that, and they go, they look, and they go, oh, and I go, it's called daylight savings time. I go, you guys just showed up an hour, oh, praise God, praise God. I mean, they were the happiest people in the world. I mean, they were on fire for Jesus all over again that day. You know, they're like, yes, you know, because what does the rapture do, man? It gets your attention, right? Because what's going to happen if you miss the rapture? Are you aware of what's going to take place? Yeah. You'll be left. That doesn't mean that you miss heaven. That means, but you'll probably have to be martyred, killed, have your head cut off. And here's the thing. People go, oh, thank God. And I go, wait a second. If you couldn't live for Jesus when it was somewhat easy, right? Where you could just, you know, love Jesus. Do you think that you're going to just walk up there and go, I so believe, cut my head off. And they'll go, hey, you can just take the mark and you can... You can eat, drink, and be merry. So many people will just fall away. 
I don't think it'll be easy. And then you think about, you know, the Holy Spirit in the truest sense. I mean, what's going to happen in the world when the church is removed? Where's the conscience of our country? Can you imagine if there were no Christians in the United States of America today, where would we be? Thank God there's believers, right, that, that are willing to, to take the hit, so to speak, and stand up there, you know, as Scripture says, to speak for those that can't speak for themselves. And so the rapture is so, so important, you know, in our lives. And, and as, like I said, we, we take these things to heart. I remember, you know, um, I was married in 1983, and I remember, man, we were just, we were doing a study. I came to Calvary Chapel in 1982 and I came because there was a study in the book of Revelation and, and, and the rapture was talked about every single week. You know, that's one of the, the, really the earmarks of Calvary Chapel, because it's really, you know, when you're talking about a church that's committed to outreach and evangelism is, you know, that the time is short. You, you realize, you know, Jesus could come back tonight and you want people on the inside, you know, like we've been talking about, you know, the apostle Paul, if I care, right. Care about people, man, I don't, you know, it's like, if you're going to hell, it's over my dead body. You know, we're, we have that kind of urgency. That's what the rapture does. Uh, that's one of the, and, and, and I can tell you, you, talk to people who don't believe in the rapture and you look at their life, they might be committed to God in church, just growing in knowledge. Like Jesus said, but they're growing in knowledge, but they're, they're not arriving at anything. There's no drive in their life. There's no commitment to the lost. There's no commitment to evangelism. It's like, we're happy that we're saved. And we just, we go, well, that's, you know, and, and you change your theology. All of a sudden you go, you know, well, only, you know, yes, only God saves people, but does he use me and you to do it? And you go, absolutely. But if you don't believe in the rapture, there's no urgency in your life. And God, like I said, knows we, we study the Bible. And you're either drawing close to the Lord. I mean, it's Jesus said, I wish that you were either hot or cold, right? But because you're what? Lukewarm. He said, what? I'll vomit you out of my mouth. And you go, and we find that, you know, for a lot of believers, lukewarm is what we like. Not too hot. No, not too cold, but just right. Most dangerous, dangerous place to be. But I remember, you know, that year, and I would just mark off of my calendar as I waited for July the 9th, 1983. And, and just being honest with you, I was praying every day, Lord, don't come back today. Don't come back today. Let me get married first. Let me, let me just get married first. You can come back after the honeymoon. Okay. But don't, 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 you know, and, and did God know my heart? You know, absolutely. You know, and, and now I pray, you know, all the time now that I am married, Lord, come quickly, come quickly. <laughs> No, my wife does that. I hear in there, hey, knock it off. Why are you marrying off every day? Oh, no, no reason at all. Just reading that we're not given in marriage. You know, in heaven, we belong to the Lord. Maranatha. I go, okay, thank you. I get that. But one of the things in scripture um, that's so good, I want you to turn there with me. Uh, John chapter 14. We'll take a look at this and we'll, we'll end here tonight in, in John 14. Um, in the NLT translation, Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled in verse one. He said, trust in God and trust also in me. He says, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. It says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And, and the, the beauty of this, you guys, is Jesus is talking to an audience that understands what he's saying there. And, it, and he takes an, an image from Jewish culture. How many have ever seen the, the movie Fiddler on the Roof? Have you seen Fiddler on the Roof? Yeah. If you've seen Fiddler on the Roof, then you know exactly where Jesus was going with this. And, and I'll go into a little bit more detail right before we close here um, with regard to verses uh, 4 through 6 in John 14. But... Um, when a young man was going to get married, usually the marriages were arranged by the parents, okay, at a very early age. And yet, but the daughter had the ability to say no, okay, if she didn't want to marry the guy, she could tell her dad, ah, I don't, you know, he's a loser. I don't, I don't want to marry him. And, you know, dad would, okay, we'll let that go. But really, but honey, what do you think though? Because he was going to give me four cows. I mean, I was going to get four cows out because you're, you, you are, whew, you're a good daughter. I mean, and 
and see, because there was a dowry had to be paid. There had to be something because they lived in an agri society. So to take a daughter out of the home, you were taking part of the workforce. You were taking a plow or you were taking somebody who picked, you know, vegetables or something. So there had to be a price. So they would agree on what that price was. And so when the, the young man was ready to be married, he would go to her father and he would, you know, make the agreement, take his dad with him and a price would be agreed upon. And then usually they would seal it with a toast of some sort, you know, wine or something that they would, uh, they would seal this. There would be a betrothal. We called it a betrothal. And that was a legal uh, binding agreement. That was almost like being married. So like when Joseph was betrothed to Mary, um, you know, and it says Joseph, though they hadn't been married and they hadn't consummated the marriage because she was a virgin, right? And it was going to be until after Jesus was born. But remember, scripture tells us that uh, Joseph looked for a way that he could put away Mary, what? Privately. He didn't want to bring her shame because he was betrothed her. So it was already a legal agreement. So a young man would come. He would ask for the daughter's hand in marriage. The agreement would be made. And then he would immediately leave and he would go home to his father's house. And he would begin to build on to his father's house. If you have the privilege of going to Israel and you look at the homes in the Middle East, you will notice that they're multi-story. They're not like how we build them, like a big Texas ranch house, you know, that goes, you know, 12,000 square feet out. They go up in the Middle East. So the oldest generation is on the bottom floor. The next generation is on the second floor. And then the next generation is on the third floor. Have you ever wondered in scripture why it talks about the sin is transmitted to even the third and the fourth generation? Have you ever looked at that and went, oh my gosh, I've ruined my children. And you go, it, it's not what you think. It's called environmental sin. What that means is that if your great grandparents, you know, live on the bottom floor and you live on the third floor, you get to spend a lot of time with, around your great grandparents, right? And if they're doing bad stuff, is there a good chance you're going to pick up their bad habits? Yes. And that's the transmission that it's talking about. A lot of times Christians, oh my gosh, uh, I, I repented of that. And now, you know, you're saying that it's going to be given to my kids. And you go, no, when you, when you got saved, guess what? Boom, it was severed. So uh, again, but it's a beautiful picture here. So he goes and he goes back to his dad's house and he builds on. If he's a slow builder, then it's going to take a long time. You know, she's going to be an old maid by that time. You go, gosh, I just want to make sure the door was plumbed properly, honey. You know, or if he's going, man, she's hot, you know, and he's just throwing it together. And you go, but usually it took, it took about a year, a little over a year or so. And so what would happen during that year's time, what is she doing? We see this, the parable of the virgins, right? In scripture, she's to stay ready, right? So you think about this with regard to the pre-tribulation rapture versus mid post-trib. There's all this imagery that comes out through Jewish culture, right? So she's to be ready. Now, because he's a romantic, is he just going to come into town, you know, at 11 o'clock in the morning? You know, hey, 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 I'm ready. Come down, got my donkey. Come on. No, he, he's, he's a romantic, right? When's he going to show up? What's he going to try to do? He's going to try to sneak up on her, right? She's going to wait till she goes to bed. And then all of a sudden he's going to come up and you know what a shofar is. I was going to have one, somebody bring one tonight. You know, all of a sudden, you know, at, at like 1130. And it's like, everybody's like, oh my gosh. The sound of that trumpet, right? The very thing that Paul's alluding to in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The imagery, what he wants them to see. They understood it because it was part of their culture. That trumpet gets blown. All of a sudden it startles everybody. And it's not just her, but her bridesmaids as well. And then there's this, you know, procession back to the father's house. And amazing in Jewish culture. And again, it fits the timeline of the seven-year tribulation that we read about in the book of Revelation, and we'll get into this more next week, what, what happens? During that seven-day period where there's the marriage and the consummation of the marriage, the guests are gathered there for seven days, and they're partying, and they're enjoying this feast. On the seventh day, the bride and the groom come out, and that's when they truly have the full-on reception. So there's so much in that imagery, you know, where 
again, I build then my theology from as I look at scripture because that's the, that was the picture that Jesus was using himself to teach the disciples in John chapter 14. See, they were troubled, right? Because here, here they are, you know, they're thinking, you know, the Jews, they believed in, they believed in the coming Messiah. They, they, didn't, they did not believe in the coming Messiah. They just believed that when the Messiah would come, what would he do? He would establish his kingdom right then and there, right? Remember, you know, so the Jews were upset when Jesus rode in on a donkey, right? The full of a donkey, because they're going, hey, they wanted a political leader, right? They wanted somebody who would overthrow the Roman government who was suppressing them, right? That's what they wanted. So they were looking for a Messiah. Remember when Jesus rode into town on the full of a donkey, what did the people say? Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who what? Comes in the name of the Lord, yeah. And so they loved John the Baptist because John the Baptist was another fulfillment of prophecy for them, right? Was that one like what? You know, Elijah would come. So here's, here's John the Baptist out in the wilderness and he's proclaiming, you know, the, the coming of Jesus. And then he baptized him. So it draws all this attention. The Jews weren't afraid of that. They weren't opposed to that. So they're watching him. And the people, when he rode into town, they identified him. They said, this is him. This is the Messiah. But their understanding was that he would overthrow the Roman government. So when Jesus rides in on the foal of a donkey, they're going, this, mm, this doesn't make sense to us. And then he goes into Jerusalem. And does he, does he overthrow the church there in the Roman government? You go, no. No, he goes in and he walks in and then he walks out. And so they're just like, what's going on? Because they're, they're struggling now. They're going, shouldn't he be overthrowing them? And so then he comes in in John chapter 14 and verse one, he says, let not your heart be troubled. And he's going, if you believe in God, see, it starts to make sense, doesn't it? He goes, believe in me also. He goes, guys, I am, I am the Messiah. And in my father's house are many mansions. And he goes, if it wasn't so, I would have told you, but I'm leaving. And that, that's what messed them up because they're going, wait, the Messiah is to establish his kingdom. They didn't realize the second coming his first coming was to die on the cross to make it possible for a second coming. And they missed it. Even the apostles didn't understand it. And so he began to, to tell them. And he's going, but I needed to bring them comfort to encourage them. You look at Matthew, or excuse me, John chapter 13 through 16. It's just a wonderful, wonderful portion you know, of scripture here that Jesus is preparing them you know, for the ultimate that he's going to the cross that he's going to die in our place. And so, so when the, the bride would take, you know, uh, excuse me, the groom would take his bride, they would go, you know, to the father's house. And next thing, you know, again, is that uh, marriage takes place. And like I said, the consummation of the marriage and the partying goes on. All of a sudden it's like, wow, okay, this, this is it. You know, this is, this is this wonderful wonderful relationship that we can enjoy. And he's, and he's doing that to give us a clearer picture of like we talked about eschatology of the end times, what, what is going to, you know, transpire. And so, you know, as, as Jesus is talking to the disciples there in John chapter 14, you know, he's basically, he's, he's telling them, you know, about what's going to take place in the rapture. And what he wants to do is he's comforting them and he wants to make sure, you know, that they don't stop believing. Uh, and, and I love that, you know, as you look through this, and when he says, and don't, in verse one there, chapter 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, also trust in me. And, and you think about, you know, what is the comfort, you know, there? Because it's not just when Jesus tells them that, in the Greek language, that word there, you know, is a command. And it's in the, the present passive imperative, meaning that it's a command to stop. When he says, you know, don't let your heart be troubled. That's a command. That's not a suggestion. He's going, I command you to stop worrying. Paul would write, be anxious for what? Nothing. Okay. In all things, what? Through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And I can tell you this, church, whenever, whenever God gives us a command, he also gives us the ability. God never gives you a command to do something that he also doesn't provide the ability to perform it. And that's the good news there. 
2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, it says, you know, the NLT, it says, but we're human. We don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will is for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Peter writes, 1 Peter 1, 13, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. In other words, you know, God calls us to find a new route to travel. You could say, you know, to think clearly, to exercise self-control, you know, to clean the filter of our mind on a regular basis. And, and like I said, the rapture, when we think about it, was designed to replace, you know, the anxiety that we have in our present situations with what? The certainty of a glorious future. That you just stop worrying about things. You go, hey, it's all going to work out, right? Don't sweat the small stuff, they say it. And just remember what? It's all small stuff. And it really is true, you know, when you think about it. But we have a tendency, like I said, to freak out because we don't understand what's going on in the now. Uh, and, and so, you know, it causes a panic, you know, in our lives. But nobody knows exactly what's going on today. But because of prophecy, we can know what's going to happen in the future, right? What, what do I remind you all the time? I don't know what the future holds, but what? But I know who holds the future. And, and that's what the rapture does. It, it gets us to think futuristically. Future perfect, you might say. There in verse 2, it says, There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you that I'm going. Would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And, and so here's Jesus providing comfort for the disciples by telling them to do what? Look up to heaven. You need comfort in your life today? Look up. Remember, it was Corrie ten Boom. You know, she said, you know, sometimes in life, she goes, I get so distressed. And she goes, and I look down. And she goes, and other times she goes, you know, I look around. She goes, but when I want, when I want my heart, you know, when I look up, she said, my heart's at rest. She said, you know, I, I can look around and be confused. I can look down and be depressed. She goes, but when I look up, my heart's at rest. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling the disciples here. He says, in my father's house, he's wanting us to look up. You know, again, it's not a figurative place. It's an actual place, right? Heaven's for people. You know, what makes your home precious? Because of all the things that are there? Or is it really because of the people that are there? Or in Susan's case, it's there. So. And what do we say? You know, heaven is heaven because what? Jesus is there. And hell is hell because Jesus isn't there, right? Yeah. And then, you, so look at verses four through six there, and we'll close. It says, and where I go, you know the way. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And like I said, at that point, they were thinking Jesus was going to set up his kingdom right then and there on earth. And he's going, nope, I'm going away. I'm going away. And then he provides us with something. He goes, what's the comfort that comes from that? He says, I won't leave you as an orphan, right? He goes, I'll, I'll pray to the Father, and he'll send another Another in my name, one who's just like me. He called him the Paracletos, right? John chapter 15. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, he said, and he'll be with you. And he'll be in you. He said, and he'll bring to remembrance all the things that I've taught you. And so he quickens what? The word of God in our minds. Brings it to remembrance. And so, you know, I just want to encourage you, you know, go over this, you know, again and again. Keep reminding yourself, you know, keep encouraging one another with it. Comfort one another. You know, we're going through, you know, like I said, hard things. You know, remember that old expression, sure beats hell. You ever hear people say, sure beats hell. You go, bah, that's, you know. But how about, how about we think of it, you know, instead of sure beats hell, you know, we start asking people, we go, hey, I got a question for you. What problem do you have in your life that the rapture won't cure? Is get people to start looking up, right? Get people to start looking up because that's what God's called us to. Jesus said, look up. He said, for your redemption draweth nigh. One day, whether we're ready or not, like I said, in the rapture, only the church is going to see him. In the second coming, 
Everybody's going to see them because we have technology. You could be in Bakersfield and you could watch it on television. That technology never existed before. You know, in the building of the, of the temple, which the temple has to be rebuilt, you can go online and look at this and they talk about all the ethernet cables and all the technology they have to be able to broadcast. They go, and, and they're not getting it, but God is setting the table for it, right? Is they go, well, we're going to have technology. Um, people that can't make the trek to Jerusalem, you know, for the feast, they go, guess what? We can broadcast it all around the world. And you go, hmm. Well, that fulfills something that we know is going to take place one day. But I'm not looking for the revelation of the Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. Amen. And it's the rapture that helps me do that. So we'll, we'll go into it even deeper next week. If you want to read ahead, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that he hasn't appointed us under wrath, but unto salvation. And so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the wrath of God. Well, scripture deals with that. And then again, the hope again that we have because of the rapture. So hopefully it'll encourage you. And like I said, I went too fast or I've got questions. You got questions. I didn't make it very clear. Feel free, write me, Mike at ccbakersfield.com. And I'll spend the first portion of uh, the service. If it was something pertaining to tonight, um, I'll help you with that, answering any question you know, that you might have. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. I thank you for this group that comes out on Wednesday night that loves you. Um, you know, it's one of the amazing things, you know, we think about church life. They say, if you come to church on Sunday, you know, you, you love the pastor. If you come Sunday night, you, you love the church. But if you come Sunday morning and Sunday night and then show back up on Wednesday, that means you love Jesus. And, and just looking out, I, I, I see a bunch of people I know that love Jesus. And I just thank you for them. Pray that you'd bless the rest of their week. And Lord, just help us uh, as we go through tough things. Like I said, it's not a, a joke or a cliche. Uh, there is no problem that we have in this world that the rapture won't solve. And so help us to, to be able to every day look up to you, Lord. And we just thank you for that. Thank you for that knowledge. Thank you for the encouragement, the exhortations, Lord, to do just that as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed.